Welcome to another episode of Collaborative Tech Talk, a Screen Beam podcast. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Screen Beam's podcast. We appreciate you joining us for some collaborative thought leadership. As we get into our main conversation for the day, make sure that you're heading to our website, screenbeam.com, and subscribing to Collaborative Tech Talk on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that button, and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new ones. So without further ado, let's get into the topic for our podcast today. We're exploring how to adapt physical classrooms for a hybridized learning environment post-COVID. If we get a post-mortem of the pandemic, we see that universities really struggled, and that's a bit of an understatement, to adapt to hybrid learning models. And it's not like hybrid learning is a new concept. COVID didn't introduce it for the first time, but what it did do was accelerate its adoption. And it took a learning model that was very much launched in little pockets for niche use cases into something that is now becoming a standard uh, and a standard differentiator for a lot of universities. So the value proposition for higher education today looks very different as these hybrid models remain and spring and Enrollment takes a hit. Just for some context, since the beginning of the pandemic, undergraduate enrollment has declined 5.9%. That's according to the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. So with all of this as context, we're wanting to explore and better understand how can universities leverage their resources to maximize their hybridized instruction and not only make it more conducive operationally, but also still a personalized and price-worthy experience for every student. So for insights today, I'd like to welcome our Screen Beam thought leader, Mr. David Lopez. He's Senior Manager of Strategic Alliances at Screen Beam. David, always a pleasure getting to chat. How are you doing today? Good, Daniel. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, like I said, again, always a pleasure chatting, and I'm looking forward to breaking this down with you. There's a lot to get into, but I think for our audience to understand ScreenBeam's perspective, it's best to define sort of what ScreenBeam is bringing to the table here. So a lot of our context is going to be framed around ScreenBeam's HyFlex Classroom solution. So let's just get that elevator pitch out of the way, and then we'll get into some of the high-level discussion. On a basic level, what is a HyFlex Classroom, and how does it work? Well, when we talk about high flex classrooms, yeah, it's we look at the environment um, that is available to the instructor. Um, when you walk into a room, you want to be able to make sure that you're uh, able to cater to the students that are there uh, in person, because that's part of that high flex conversation, um, and be able to also uh, approach in some way the students that are online or that are. Uh, consuming the content in a different way. And that's that idea, again, the whole idea of high flex uh, classrooms or high flex courses, uh, those in, the, in that case. Um, with ScreenBeam, we, we have uh, solutions that allow you to, uh, with, our, with our devices, uh, to allow you to walk into a room and connect and share content with the students that are in the room. But then with the UC and the, and the BYOM, uh, things that we're releasing now, Bring Your Own Meeting, uh, we do allow you to then have that connection to the students that are online as well, all with one device. And so we tried to keep it as simple as possible. We tried to make it user-friendly as possible, and that's another piece that I think we'll talk about as well, uh, the human aspect of that. Uh, but really what we, we aim to do is be able to provide the, the right environment uh, to make it simple and to make it easy to walk into a room 
and and connect and then walk out of the room and have uh, all that stuff already packaged up for you as you leave, depending on what kind of uh, UC solution or meeting solution that you use um, as well. Perfect. Thanks for that context there. So when we talk about HyFlex, uh, it's important to understand that the HyFlex classroom is sort of an extension or a, a next step to what has already been defined across higher education as HyFlex courses. Uh, excuse me, high flex courses being defined as hybrid flexible courses, mm -hmm. just to expand that a little bit. Yeah. So those have been around or defined since at least 06. So we've got a decade, if not 15 plus years of this concept being implemented. Uh, and even though its definition has evolved a bit, the core is focused on creating hybridized and flexible curriculum strategies. So that includes uh, bringing instructional designers into the process to build out coursework around this workflow. The LMSs have to adapt. Uh, you know, educators have to build out their strategies for reaching different kinds of students in different mediums. So I'm curious, have universities taken that high flex course strategy and mm -hmm. invested in brick and mortar supplemental solutions for their high flex courses over the years? Is this something we've seen in the past 10, 15 years, or is it still relatively sporadic? What have you seen? Yeah, I think you'll you'll see pockets of that. Like you said, back in, in 2006, the, the technology was, was much different. There were online, you know, you did have uh, LMSs that were available, things like I think Moodle was really uh, big back then as, as kind of kind of the startup to, to that idea of an LMS that's open source and and then a lot of universities use utilize that. Um, but but there is a there is a need then to say, okay, well now that I've got this concept of of this hybrid flexible environment or high flex environment. And again, don't get me wrong, uh, that term high flex is not something that's the only way to refer to this. Uh, I think converged learning, um, multi, uh, blend flex learning, other universities coined their own kind of term for this. Um, but when it comes to the brick and mortar piece of it, yeah, that has evolved, um, especially now because uh, we have had, because of COVID, uh, had a need for, okay, what kind of equipment do we need to bring into a room to set that up? Because like you said, the, the design of the course is different than the actual, the, the environment that you're teaching this, this course in, right? So uh, that idea of an instructional designer to say, okay, how do we put together the materials? How, what kind of materials are going to be used? How are those materials going to be distributed? What kind of distribution method are we going to use? Uh, what kind of synchronous uh, tools are we going to uh, provide when it comes to quizzing and polling and things like that? That's all great, and that's part of that. But then you're actually, again, that human element is, okay, how do I walk into a room as a teacher, <clears throat> as a professor, and implement that, right, and then get that started and actually utilize that? And so pockets of that were available, I think, over time, over the last 10, 15 years, um, where you have classrooms that were set specifically up for that. But then now um, it's becoming more widely uh, utilized. This, this model is, is starting to bubble up a lot more and schools are having to invest in technology that goes in more than just specific classrooms um, in maybe some specific campuses. It's like, okay, well, we need to have more of these spaces available and how do we, how do we then do that and make that uh, easily accessible? So then, if we uh, take that necessity of bridging 
hybridized coursework with an environment that matches or maximizes uh, that hybridization, mm -hmm. what would you say are some of the basic core tenets that a physical space needs to match that vision of a high flex course and curriculum? I guess uh, connect the dots for us a little more specifically for us. Sure. Uh, well, the the basis uh, is going to be um, is that that online piece, obviously right. the the LMS. Uh, so you're providing course materials, which most universities already have, you know, course materials online, and so that's that's available, right? Um, but then when you when you actually walk into the room, then you're talking about uh, you know a camera. Right, uh, some sort of camera or some sort of way to capture the information that's being put in. So we're talking about really basic, some board of way, some way to capture the information that is going on in the room. If that's a camera, great. But maybe it doesn't have to be. Maybe it's just capturing a specific piece of that class. So maybe the teacher is using PowerPoint, and they have inside of PowerPoint there's a record presentation feature. It's literally one button that you say, okay, click record, and it will record everything that I'm doing in that PowerPoint, even the inking, and if I have a pen in, with me, and I'm writing on that PowerPoint, and I'm recording my voice, um, I'm actually capturing that information. So some way to capture that content that's going on in the class is, is part of that. But then, on top of that, it's also the engagement um, with the students that are there, in person and um, that's an important piece of that because those are the students that you know you can't just lose those students because you're focusing on all the stuff that's going on online so you want to have that engagement with those students as well um, and you want to be able to to make sure that's a good experience um, and then the other piece of that is after the fact right so what happens after the classroom is uh, is after the class is over um, can those students that are there in person access that content afterwards so there's some elements right. to that teacher that have to be able to take some of that content that they've captured and either it's immediately uploaded or it's immediately available or they immediately uh, send that to all the students in some way um, but those elements are important. So whether it's a camera or whether it's capturing audio and, and content from your device, uh, those are some of the specific really really uh, base elements of a hybrid flexible environment. Now what you do with that afterwards, how far you go, yeah, you can take it to the nth degree and have um, all sorts of other equipment in the room. But if we're talking about the basics, which most schools need to have, and they're trying to start with that, those are some of the things I think are important. So let's get more specific into uh, the, I guess, the process for actually bridging those two worlds because to some degree, I imagine the workflows of creating a physical space that responds to a hybridized learning environment and building an entire set of curriculum and specific coursework to also match a hybridized environment operate sort of parallel, but with different key players and in different ways, right? So uh, can you track the timeline of basically taking a flex curriculum and then turning it into a hybridized, flexible, responsive environment? So when in that process of designing the curriculum, should the physical space be considered and when should those worlds start to be strategically aligned? Yeah, I think very early on, um, you have to have both of those together um, because Again, the whole idea of a hybrid flexible 
environment, especially again in, in our world today. Let's say, for example, um, a student uh, gets sick and maybe has to be quarantined, right? The idea of that hybrid flexible environment, the high flex environment is they can still participate uh, without missing a beat. So that then becomes, well, the course design has to be available for that. So all the materials, all the, the resources and things like that have to be available. Um, and then the physical uh, things that are going on in the classroom, if that's a truly high flex environment, is capturing that content and making that available. So very early on, those the environment should be looked at. Um, and, and that's again where ScreenBeam, we can say, um, you have to worry about as a university or even in some K through 12 spaces, right? I'm, I'm not advocating for high, high flex in K through 12. I think that's a lot harder in the human element and that can be a lot more difficult for, for some teachers. Um, but even in that environment where you have this need for being able to capture content, but also pay attention to the students that are in the room, um, with ScreenBeam, what we can allow you to do is uh, take a device like the ScreenBeam 1100 Plus uh, plug it in and use it as part of your UC scenario um, and connect to a meeting if you need to, whether it be a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting or something like that. Engage with the, the students in the room by saying, okay, I've got a device with me I'm holding in my hands. Um, I've got a pen on that device. I've got multiple cameras on that device. And I can start my class um, by connecting to that meeting. But then when I'm sharing content from my screen to the screens in the room, it's, it's taking care of the students that are there. But then at the same time, virtually, the students are also who are, who are remote participants are able to see that content as well. But as a teacher, I'm not tied down to a podium or to a lectern. And in addition to that, I'm not worried about, okay, who else used this room before me? Maybe as a teacher, I'm maybe a Maybe I'm a high risk uh, and maybe I'm wearing masks, but then I'm, I'm worried about equipment that everybody else has touched when I'm in here. I can still, with ScreenBeam, I can use my own device that I have and still have, if, I, if I've got a device that the university has provided me that has pen and touch and all this other stuff, I can carry that device with me, walk into any room that has a ScreenBeam in it with the UC capabilities, connect to that screen in the room, and now I'm already... 90% of the way there of that high flex environment. I don't really have to do that much to set that up. I don't have to worry about podiums and lecterns and and uh, and other things. Not that those are bad things. I think right. those are certainly useful, but you can do that in a few places. But can you spread that out as a campus? Let's say you've got hundreds or thousands of classrooms across multiple campuses. Um, I can't necessarily do that everywhere. But if I want to have that available, ScreenBeam is one of those tools that says, yeah, you can put that in any room with any projector, or any screen, and be 90% of the way there of that high flex environment when it needs to be accessed. And if it's not needs does not need to be used, then I still have uh, the best in class screen mirroring um, solution that's out there that again, doesn't require me to plug in any cables or dongles or software to make it work. And I think that ease of use is really 
the key component here. And it takes a lot of work to get there. Um, you know, workforce education, making sure right. students understand exactly what is expected of them in this sort of hybridized learning process as well. Uh, and also getting administrative stakeholders understanding the vision for implementation from the start so that ease of use is prioritized as well. Absolutely. So with all of that in mind, what would you say a high flex classroom looks like in practice uh, when it's functioning exactly as it should? Basically, what is an ideal high flex coursework and classroom environment and ecosystem that is operating to everyone's benefit in your view? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's a much deeper uh, investment, I yeah. think, on the course design work. Um, and that is also, again, the, the human side of it, where the teacher has to uh, be committed to doing that. Um, because it is, it can be, I'm not going to say it's twice the amount of work as a just regular brick and mortar class, uh, but it is more work <laughs> to do all of this. Um, so the ideal setup is something that doesn't put a big burden on the teacher, uh, that allows them to use the tools that they already have in front of them and tools that they carry with them. Uh, so whether it's their device, um, maybe it's an iPad, maybe it's a Surface device, um, you know, that, that does all those things that we talked about. Maybe it's a MacBook or a Windows 10 laptop, but they're able to use that device in that room that they always have with them. That's, I think, a key component because, again, teachers need to be familiar with what's on their device and utilizing the technology that they already have with them. Um, I think that's really important because if I'm asking a asking teachers already to create the course in the right way and then I ask them to now have professional development on the room itself that's creating another barrier um, I think uh, that's creating another barrier that if in a time when we're losing teachers uh, by the hundreds of thousands in K through 12 um, more than half a million jobs this is from the Economic Policy Institute yeah. More than half a million education jobs, uh, it's below, in K-12, through below where it was last year. Half of those, half a million, more than almost a million, half wow. of those are, are teachers. Um, and so that's a huge, I think that's a bellwether for also what we might see in, in higher ed as well. I don't have the numbers specifically for higher ed, but I know anecdotally from professors that I know that they're just saying, look, I was going to retire in a couple of years, but because of all this COVID stuff and all the hybrid stuff they're asking me to do, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to walk away now. I'm, I'm good. And so universities and K through 12 institutions have to think about those things as well, what that environment is, how easy it is to do it, and what we're asking our teachers to do. I think, you, I think universities should focus on the tools that the teachers always have with them, and then how do they take those and put those in an environment uh, when they walk into that room that they can instantly share they can walk out of that room and take it with them rather than saying i have a whole you know set of of tools and devices that are available in this room but then when you go home you don't have access to those right screen being or if you go to another classroom because that room was taken up you don't have access to those tools with screen beam you can literally put that anywhere and if you add a camera and add some uc capabilities to that camera and a microphone all of a sudden you set up a room without doing a lot of work and that's what we aim to do is provide solutions like that in both K through 12 higher ed and enterprise to make that easy and make that transition easy. 
All right, I feel like we've gotten a good breakdown for why high flex classrooms are uh, an essential piece of the high flex curriculum and coursework strategy that has already been a part of higher education. What I want to do now is uh, get a bit of a COVID postmortem, which I feel like we just need to do and it'll help us better understand where we're at today and how the dynamics have shifted slightly where they've accelerated so can you break down how the conditions of the last year year and a half uh, have made high flex classrooms a bigger topic of conversation what has changed what has become more evident uh, get a little granular for us there uh there there's there's, there's a bunch of things it's not all you know uh, sunshine and roses. Um, <laughs> uh, when you look at the need for hybrid learning, um, the fact that it's being adopted more in in many locations, and 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 really, what happened is it just it, it just had to happen. Like all of a sudden, it was okay. You have to do it. Um, and there's been some statistics that say, well, it's not for everybody. And we knew that, right? So we knew that online learning before going into this, not everybody was cut out for that. Um, so you do see lower student engagement sometimes. I think one of the numbers, 84% uh, of students are likely to attend class um, if they're studying remotely. So if they just have a remote option, only 84% of students are just going to show up when the class is turned on. Um, they may come back to it later, they may not come at all, as opposed to 91%, if they're there in person, they're gonna show up, that's more of the attendance uh, you know, in, in that environment. Um, students likely to complete work is also dropped off uh, when you all of a sudden force them into an online, an online environment where they're having to do that. So that's what happened with COVID, right? So all of a sudden you did see drop off in student completion, like 62% of students are likely to complete work if they're studying remotely. Now that's, that's again, not ubiquitous across all K through 12 and higher ed, but I think you're gonna find a number in there between both of them that's pretty close uh, because it just happens when you're doing an online course. So with COVID, a lot of that happened. So now with hybrid, um, as you're getting into that environment, um, you are gonna see a, a change in the responses in the in the participation um, and in the available and in the availability of 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 content um, there's going to be some things that are going to be different and post covid what we're hoping for is a shift back to more of an in-person environment where the the hybrid part of that is is there and it's available so content as teachers are are just doing classes normally they're recording content and making that available for students um, that flipped model is something that's been around for a long time as well that type of flipped model where you can consume that content at any time um, so hopefully with with post-covid you're going to see a lot more uh, tools and they're already there right a lot more tools that teachers are using to capture that content to make that availability of the learning uh, resources always there as opposed to okay if you miss the class uh, you just missed it all and you, you're not going right. to be able to come back so I think post COVID you're going to see a lot more universities teaching uh, their professors and training the professors in ways to capture content whether that's turning on PowerPoint and clicking record when they use PowerPoint and all of a sudden they've captured that stuff and then even using their devices differently 
Uh, one of the coolest tools that I love to use when I'm when I'm teaching or when I was teaching is I can open up my PowerPoint and start writing on a blank slide and I can share that PowerPoint with students and later on maybe I did a math problem or I, or I diagrammed a sentence they can right. click ink, ink replay and it replays all that ink for them and that's built into the tools that I already have like PowerPoint so that's another thing is training teachers to use more uh, purposefully the tools that are available to them and that's, I think, a really important thing post-COVID that teachers are going to have to do is, look, I've already got these tools with me. Um, how do I maximize the use of those things? And I think that's really important to take away from some of this because, hey, what happens when something else hits? You know, if something else hits, how are we going to be able to react to that? Right. And the last thing that you want to set a precedent for is every time there's a crisis, you have to completely restructure your technology exactly. investments, your coursework, yeah, your your entire um, you know learning infrastructure, both in person, online, and those hybridized mixes. Uh, it's just it's not wise. It takes too much time and energy, and it really uh, creates apathy. I think within the professionals that really make this happen day in day out. Right? If every year sure. it's hey, guess what? Your entire <laughs> you know your entire approach to how you do your job is going to have to change, and yeah. you know there's nothing you can do about it. That's it, it. Leaves a sour taste in your mouth, and I think that over time can create some issues as well, which we'll get into here in a sec. What I want to do first is ground what you've just described around a more specific example. So I know that uh, ScreenBeam has launched uh, HyFlex classroom solutions at high-profile universities like NYU, but what we're going to expand on today is the University of Florida and how your work uh, helped them meet their specific needs. So could you break down uh, ScreenBeam's relationship with the University of Florida, what some of their needs were when they approached ScreenBeam with, hey, we need your high-flex classroom solutions, and how you worked to maximize what they were dealing with? Um, so, well, there, there are some things that we've done with the University of Florida, I think, in, in providing them with uh, uh, some solutions like the ScreenBeam 1100 Plus that says they can provide, um, they can provide a, an environment that gives them a, uh, gives them a, a ability for teachers to utilize their devices that they have with them. Um, I think we have some, some pieces in place that we're working with them on to say, hey, uh, let's, uh, let's let the teachers use the tools that they have, right? So if I come in with my device and I have ScreenBeam in place, um, I can just connect to that screen in the room and not worry about, again, podiums or lecterns or things like that uh, to make that work. And I think that's a really, again, a, a feature that we talk about with ScreenBeam is that we don't require uh, apps or dongles to uh, and training really to make it all come together. And so with the tools that we already have with the 1100 plus, with the new BYOM stuff, we can say to, the, to other universities and, and places like university that are testing out our devices to say, hey, now all of a sudden with BYOM, with the firmware update, you can now take that same device that you were already using and testing out and make that into a, uh, a hybrid flexible uh, piece. Uh, and now all of a sudden that becomes part of that solution that you develop because they put a lot of effort into that high flex environments that they're building. Um, and so we want to offer them that piece that says, 
this is a great addition to those solutions that you already have and it allows your teachers to use the devices that they already carry with them as opposed to maybe having to focus on using um, a lectern or a podium. Hey, look, this gives you a wireless display solution that you can add into that piece. All right, David, we're approaching the end of our broadcast. So what I want to do now is get some more strategies for integration and really just maneuver uh, some of the potential pain points that come from trying to launch something like this at scale. So let's talk implementation first. Uh, I think people are going to hear what we've just described and think, wow, okay, at least just once it's going to be a monetary investment. There's going to be a financial angle to this, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, is this usually an expensive endeavor? Uh, and how would you advise that universities manage any of the costs that come with launching at scale in-person uh, solutions that can allow for a hybridized learning model? Okay, uh, yeah. So the expense is something that, you know, obviously universities are trying to, to look at their budgets and see how they're going to uh, approach these things. Um, and one of the things that ScreenBeam offers is, again, the ability to start with a solution and, and that is not only going to be, could be used in a high flex environment, but also you know is going to be used after the, the you know, post COVID, right? So it's going to have a long-term solution to this. It's not just purpose, you're, you're buying something specifically for one purpose and then maybe uh, after a few years when the need necessarily goes away, then you don't you just have this equipment sitting in the room with ScreenBeam. we allow you to make a decision now that says okay i can put this device in the room or in a conference room or in a huddle space or in a collaboration space and you know you're always going to be able to have a need for it or a use for it because that wireless display piece where we're cutting the cables right and i'm not i shouldn't have to walk into any room at any point uh, in today's world and have to plug in my device to share my content that's just you know becoming more and more common. ScreenBeam allows you to set that up now, but then with this hybrid flexible environment, I can say, um, I can say I can use that device with some of the equipment that I already have. Maybe I've got some cameras and I've got some other tools and I can plug all, plug those in and, and have that uh, budget set up where with ScreenBeam, I don't have to pay annual costs to manage those devices, right? I don't have to pay annual fees to do all that stuff. I'm spending the money on the tools that I already am spending money on, so like Teams or Zoom or some sort of, uh, you know, UC client, and I can integrate that into the screen, be integrate the ScreenBeam into that environment, and now I'm not again training on multiple devices, multiple tools, uh, multiple pieces of equipment. Again, my teachers are using the devices that they already have. So it gives them some flexibility with their budget uh, that is also good for long-term use. Um, again, with ScreenBeam, we've aimed to not have annual costs to our devices. So when you get the ScreenBeam, you get all the tools, you get the firmware updates, you get all those things, but you also get management of the devices that you're not paying year over year over year for, uh, which also can become a burden once schools spend all this money that they've got now, and then next year they don't have that budget necessarily, and so now they're kind of stuck, well, I can't upgrade or I can't utilize these same tools anymore. Right. And I feel like we've gotten a good picture as well for um, the ease of deployment that ScreenBeam offers. So 
the main other, uh, I guess, potential pain point that I want to highlight is making sure that the professionals, the workforce, and more specifically just the educators, the folks that are actually using this mostly and uh, using it day in, day out, feel like they're not disconnected from the process. Uh, and like we mentioned earlier, with these big changes, often there's maybe a misunderstanding of what tools do I use? How do I maximize this? How do I take all this work that I've already done on a set of curriculum and coursework and turn it into something that is flexible for uh, you know two different sets of students, basically? So. What are some of your strategies for those challenges that pop up? How do you maneuver making sure that the right people are brought to the table, that educators understand how to maximize this solution and making it one that doesn't create more headaches but really just alleviates them for the educators? Well, with Screen at Screenbeam, we've got great partners that we work with. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to pretend that we're going to be able to uh, do full fledged trainings on utilizing this technology. Sure. Um, we can do it, right? And so, not as far not utilize technology. Obviously, we can do that, but 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 it is a a holistic approach. So, to the software that the teachers are using on a regular basis, whether it's Microsoft Office or other tools. Um, we've got great partners that we work with that do have arms that they have significant resources in helping to train teachers on utilizing this. So when you take that holistic approach and you say, um, I'm going to bring in this equipment, I'm going to bring in these devices. Um, and then on top of that, we're going to look at the tools that you guys are already using. Like let's again, I'll say teams, office 365, uh, Google docs or whatever. And we're going to say, okay, we have the vision, ScreenBeam does, to be able to say, here, look, this is how all those tools integrate into this high-flex environment. Let's bring in this partner to show you how to maximize the use of those tools. So you're not overburdening your teachers on, um, on making all of this work. Uh, there, we, we've we've walked through this scenario. We've talked about it with a lot of people. We've seen it in use. Now let's let's implement it. And let's help you be able to do that. And so the partners that we work with um, can help bring in some of those trainings um, and make it an easier transition. And again, because we come at it from an educator's point of view, uh, which is where I come from, we understand a lot of those pain points as well. And so we can help with having those discussions on. You know, what are those pain points? How do we make it easy? And how do we make it, uh, well, flexible? <laughs> That's the name of the game, isn't it? How yeah. do you make it flexible? I love it. Yeah. So last main point here before we wrap up, David, uh, but since uh, high flex courses aren't really a new thing, I think it is understood that they're going to outlast COVID and because of COVID, they're yeah. going to become a standardized part of higher education moving forward. So as we look ahead, what are some of the uh, use cases you imagine for a solution like this in a post-COVID era where these hybridized environments have become sort of part and parcel with the higher education experience? Mm -hmm. um, do you think the workflow is going to change? Do you think the value proposition is going to change on investing in something like this? Peer into the yeah. crystal ball for us a bit. Yeah, I think you're going to see... Um, a lot of universities utilizing these environments as tools to reach out to students that may not have been accessible to them before uh, because it has accelerated the the online programs for even smaller schools um, that didn't necessarily think about this before uh, you're going to see 
that happen and have them reach out to a, maybe a larger population than maybe they were targeting uh, previously. So maybe they were only thinking about regional uh, in their particular region. And then they can say, well, we can offer, you know, classes that maybe we have a unique set of classes. If we're doing a high flex environment in these particular course set of courses, we can offer that unique uh, coursework to a broader audience. And that's, I think, what's what universities are having to focus on or are focusing on. Um, and that that becomes, again, that's that student retention. It's it's making sure their enrollment stays up. And how do we in that post COVID world where more people are doing this, how do we keep up? Um, and, and it is, I think, that's what you're just you're just going to see that happen a lot more. Um, you don't see that as much in K through 12 because its audience is much more of a fixed audience. Uh, but in high in higher ed, you are going to see more schools utilize this um, these tools and reach out to more students on a on a larger scale than maybe it wasn't available for them before. Um, and I think it's a good thing. It, it makes it more accessible uh, to others. It gives some options that maybe weren't there before. And, um, and I think it's better for everybody. And it's also gonna make competition um, increase, uh, all things being equal, it'll increase competition for students. Therefore, again, just economically, you see prices maybe change and maybe more accessibility, more people in that way as well. All right, I think on that note, David, that does it for our conversation today on High Flex Classrooms. I feel like there's so many more layers that we need to get yeah. into, so we might just need to do some follow-up conversations on this. But till then, thank you so much for giving us this overview of how COVID has shaped the High Flex coursework and classroom relationship and dynamic and why High Flex Classrooms are going to continue to be a need, a standardized and scaled need throughout higher education. So again, we've been chatting with David Lopez, Senior Manager of Strategic Alliance with ScreenBeam. And David, if folks want to find out more about uh, how ScreenBeam is supporting HyFlex classrooms or they want to get in touch, how can they do so? Uh, come see us at ScreenBeam.com. Um, we certainly have all the resources available on there. Um, let's talk about what we offer in, in setting up these environments at BYOM um, and in, in uh, K-12 and higher ed. Um, and also, of course, enterprise. Um, so yeah, visit us at screenbeam.com. Follow us on, on Twitter, uh, Instagram, all those fun things. Perfect. Love it. All right, David Lopez, thank you again for your time. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you everyone for watching this episode of Collaborative Tech Talk, a ScreenBeam podcast. Like David said, make sure you head to our website, screenbeam.com, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time on another Collaborative Tech Talk.